0: Oh, and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at Pierre Howdy on Twitter and Threads and everywhere else you need an app Let's talk about the NFL after 11 weeks. Do you have the
1: time to listen to me grind? Take down the few watchers and learn some
0: at once. I want to admit to you, honestly, at this point, in fact, earlier in the season, I'm tired um, and actually kind of over it. I'm starting to consider dropping any league that isn't best ball. Between collecting data, breaking it down, writing it up and recording about it, I'm fatigued with all things fantasy football, usually by about Tuesday, most weeks. But after 11 weeks of data, I'm I'm less than motivated to open up my league pages and look for trade options and waiver wire targets or even to make basic roster moves. Now... My main lesson from my article this week, or my main point about this in my article this week, is that so is everyone else. Honestly, it's really hard to stay motivated. Unless you've been dominating the league and are just having a great year, honestly, most of us are feeling something like that. League fatigue in season is a common trait to fantasy football, especially as we enter week 12 in an individual season, and especially if you're not in strong contention in that league. It's affecting all of us, and the odds are... Therefore, that it's affecting your league mates as well. Now, the downside of this is that several managers won't respond to trade offers anymore or any kind of messages, especially if you only know them online and through fantasy football. But the upside is those who aren't, those who are actually looking to make moves on a depleted with a depleted number of managers willing to respond, means that you are a more viable and more valuable partner in that endeavor. Whether you're building or trying to win, the smaller option pool for players interested in doing anything right now puts anyone who can pull their enthusiasm together enough to keep trying or to stay in a position to make a difference-making move more likely to find one. In other words, we're all tired. The difference between this year's champion and next year's champion might be how many weeks you can keep making yourself try to make moves right now. So as long as it doesn't hurt your mental health too much, and I mean that sincerely. There's way too much of the grind set mentality out there. And fantasy football is, even if you've got money on the line or this is how you make your living, it's a game. It's meant to be fun. Set aside some time. If you don't feel like it, don't do it. But do try to establish some period in the week where you're going to go through your league and just look for good moves, even if it's not every week, even if it's every other week. Because I really think now is a really crucial part, especially for teams that aren't in contention, that might find themselves in a position to find more willing partners right now for those teams that are in contention or those teams that aren't. And have nothing else to do and are suddenly interested in getting moves done doesn't mean you're looking to rip anyone off more than you ever would be or make unfair trades but it does mean sometimes trades can come together that really do push both your teams in the direction that you want to go a little more easily if you find someone else in your league willing to deal now with that being said especially having mentioned the fatigue aspect of fantasy football as much as we like it as much as we like football You get tired of looking and thinking about the same old thing every week when you have a life and everything else. Now, something I think actually helps, and I'm mentioning this because I was asked to, full disclosure, almost an ad right here, but it does actually help, so I'm going to bring it up because it fits into my point here. If you don't know, DLF will be once again running its annual Black Friday Cyber Week sale, like everyone else, I know. And this year, it's going to be the biggest ever, which is always the promise But it's actually always true, the seal keeps getting better. Starting immediately after Thanksgiving and running through to Friday, December the 1st, you can get a full year of DLF Premium for $15 off the normal annual membership price. That's $34.99 in total for the full year. Now, the reason I'm mentioning it, because there is more to a potential read here, is because, because it is fatiguing. Being able to go somewhere to check out, not data, not ideas... But actual articles of people forcing themselves through to do the weekly grind whether they like it or not because they're treating it like a job to provide content for you all is useful. You don't have to check out every week or check in every week but when you find yourself in the mood there are weekly articles updating on every major and minor event. My series looking at weekly trends and usages, for example, tries to find more off-the-beaten trends, something I use for this podcast and use for my Patreon article as well. While I'm more than willing to talk about the background work, and there are many different reports on DLF and other sites that do that, I just wanted to skip ahead to the conclusion for this exact reason. Sometimes, despite needing the process behind it and trying to develop our own, we just want ideas. What's your conclusion from everything else per team? And that's what I try to do. But there's also weekly trade articles and weekly value articles and all these other things that just give you an idea of something to think about or look for in your league or consider for your team. And that can actually be useful. Outside of the ADP and the other tools and the trade tools and the forum and everything else DLF provides. I think having a place to go for weekly content when you're in the mood to just catch up on a few ideas that you might not come up with and are things you might want to try is really useful. And if you're going to do it, ever sign up for a subscription service, I would start with DLF personally. That's not just me saying it, that's where I started my subscription services myself, and this is the best time to do it because it's the biggest sale they're going to have on it. While everyone else is uninterested or becoming less interested, you can maybe at least find some entertainment in the content provided on DLF to give you a few extra ideas during these crucial weeks when moves might be harder to find but might be more evenly balanced or Better for pushing a team in a direction because of the league fatigue most other members of your league might be suffering. Just a thought. Check it out if you're interested in it. Outside of that, based on 11 weeks of data, you're looking at trends and usages that hopefully not everyone notices off the top of the page. Starting with Arizona, Marcus Brown are coming. Marcus Brown once again led the team in routes, 20.7%. was third on the team in target share, 17.2%, behind Trey McBride's continued breakout, he had 24.1% of the targets, and a blowout game from Greg Dortch, who actually had the lead in target share at 27.6. Following the volume is the core of my fantasy process, even when it's tough. I'm sending offers on Marcus Brown. Dortch is a good NFL player who, together with Rondon Moore, who also managed a touchdown on his one lone target, even though he ran 30 routes, he only got the one target, both play an important role in the receiving game in Arizona. However, Dortch and Moore have A-Dots under 6. Brown has a higher level of red zone presence, 16.2% of the touches inside the 20-yard line this year, and more air under the ball per every target. Simply put, he's on the field running routes more often, and eventually it's going to pay off, like I mentioned last week. And after another down week from his overall fantasy output, now's a good time to send offers. For Baltimore, the answer is probably simpler than we think. We lost a lot of good players for the season in week 11, and Mark Andrews may be one of the most notable as he provides such a positional advantage for teams starting him. It also leaves a lot of questions about Baltimore's offense. Is there a potential dynasty value or seasonal points window to be gained? Seeing Odell Beckham with his first game over 15 PPR points since 2021 was fun, but it once again brings, to the front, brings front and centre questions about volume versus efficiency. Odell Beckham has been earning targets at an aggressively above average rate all season. In week 11, Odell Beckham produced 116 receiving yards on 7 targets despite only running 11% of the team's routes. Rashad Bateman, on the other hand, has been growing in share and route percentage in the last few weeks, but has not been commanding targets as aggressively on those routes. Isaiah Likely ran a season high and the second highest of his career in total route percentage in week 11 after the loss of Mark Andrews. He ran 18.8% of the team's overall route. The words we use to help us reach certain conclusions can mislead us. Odo is playing well and earning targets at an aggressive rate. Bateman is playing quote-unquote badly and not earning targets despite having all those routes, and so forth. Instead, I tend to simplify it and think about efficiency and volume. Efficiency of fleeting, volume is sustainable, more or less. Simply put, while Bateman isn't earning targets as efficiently, the offensive plan is increasingly clear, to use him as a larger part of the offense in Baltimore. That's why he's running more routes. Odell can be spectacular, but hasn't only recently been capable of performing, and has been a markedly small part of the offense in 2023. At the same time, both Bateman's lone touchdown and Odell's targets per route are efficiencies that can't be sustained. Losing Mark Andrews hurts the offense, making the team less fantasy viable, to be honest. Moving forward, I think there's a reason to suspect both Likely and Bateman are going to continue to be more central parts of the offense. And Odell's late game injury in week 11, it seems more than likely to be the case, at least for this one next week, but I would expect that to be the case beyond that. The team won't move the ball as well without Andrews or Odell's ceiling of efficiency either, however. In Dynasty, Isaiah Likely... Likely carries an additional cost because of his potential because of his age and we've probably missed the best buy window although on the podcast and the dynasty Grime we have highlighted him last off season several times but we're not here to take victory laps on the other hand the player who's been earning volume and being efficient hasn't actually changed zay flowers led the team in routes last week 20.8% in week 11, and was second in target share, 17.4% in week 11. He's a rookie, the single group of players more likely to earn more volume through efficiency consistently over recent history. And he hasn't scored a touchdown since week 6. He currently has has a touchdown every every 607 yards. That's very likely to regress back towards the average of 150 before the season ends. He should score more touchdowns, in other words. And the team is... Flowers is the team's leading receiving option in the red zone as well. Though his red zone touches have dropped since week 4 because the team rushes so often inside the 20-yard line. Seriously, it's only passing 24% of the time when he gets into that area of the field, which is the fourth lowest in the league. Simply put, in Dynasty, Zay Flowers should probably be the target broadly. But the results could be rocky because of the drop in value of the team's offense where it doesn't pass inside the red zone so much and it just lost its best receiving option in Mark Andrews. That's the simple version anyway. In Buffalo, two down weeks of Stefan Diggs won't last. Wish I could say this was based on some ultra-cool deep-dive analysis, but it's Stefan Diggs. He hasn't had a touchdown in back-to-back weeks and underperformed in yards per route run on eight targets last week, Even though, and the team only passed 45% of the time, which was a season low. It was a blowout win against the Jets, however, which is why. Diggs is the lead receiver, obviously. He's running 21.4% of the routes on the season and had 26% of the routes last week. That's clearly the lead receiver on the team. Get Diggs on competitive teams while people still might be concerned that he's underperformed in back-to-back weeks. And, you know, dynasty. Diggs is old. He's going to drop in value. Whatever. Get Diggs. Now, Khalil Shakir did hit the top 12 in Week 11. And hasn't run less than 15% of the team's routes since week 8. Which is impressive, especially for a player in his rookie year. Well, in his career year. I think he's second career year now. And someone I did like in the pre-draft process a little bit. But he's still third in the team in routes overall, even if he maintains that. So Diggs is still very much the target in Dynasty. Ty Johnson also picked up 21% of the snaps in week 11. But that's probably because the rushing game was so heavily involved this week. And to be clear, behind James Cook's, Latavius Murray is still the best flex option running back play for any team just looking for that start if he's on the back end of your roster. James Cook has the second most red zone touches with 20.6. And Latavius Murray is barely behind him with 22.7%. Versus, James Cook has the most touches inside the red zone with 22.7%. But Latavius Murray is barely behind him with 20.6% and is good for that odd random touchdown every few weeks when you do need that desperation running back start. In Carolina, Miles Sanders claws back more of the rushing attempts, but the split is real and seems to have stabilized into an even share, which is bad. In week 11, Chubba Hubbard played on 49% of the snaps and Miles Sanders played on 46%. Sanders had 47% of the rushing attempts to Chubba Hubbard's 43.5%. By drive, by down and by play, the running back room in Carolina seems to have become a dead heat with neither offering a significant edge, making both hard to start overall. In Chicago, Justin Fields storms back into the top 12 while Dante Foreman takes a big drop with the return of Khalil Herbert. Justin Fields had a good game, showing the upside of his rushing potential, and having an above-average passing game, completing 69% of his attempts. That's a season-best for him, and also about the average for a top-12 quarterback. But it was only on 23 passing attempts, and his touchdown rate, 150 yards, 153 yards per touchdown, will be hard to maintain every week. Khalil Herbert also returned to his largest share of the snaps of any running back in Week 11. 43 percent he has some upside as he was able to crack the top 12 in week four when he was healthy and he averaged 37 percent of the rushing attempts and 12 percent of the targets when on the field but it's worth remembering he was still finishing inside the top 36 most weeks even when he was healthy earlier in the season in Cincinnati Joe Burrow is likely done for the season Jake Browning took the start and scored 18 PPR points. He's a projected starter in Week 12 and is the only possible bright spot in the wake of Burrow's injury, for teams who need a starter to limp onto the playoffs at quarterback at least. We've seen a lot of backup quarterbacks doing a good enough job this year, and Browning showed some potential for that last week. Jamar Chase is still a locked-in starter, even with Browning, and it remains to be seen if T. Higgins can even get back on the field in Week 12, so we'll have to wait and see. Tyler Boyd, on the other hand, has consistently had over 20% of the routes this season, even when Higgins was healthy, and should remain a flex play when one or the other isn't available. The reason I'm mostly mentioning that is because we have a lot of vacated targets talk to get through, and I want to use Boyd as a reference later. In Cleveland, drum Ford has 60% of the red zone touches in Week 12. Deshaun Watson is out of surgery, and the team thinks his recovery could be ready for the 2024 season. In the meantime, Dorian Thompson-Robinson will get a chance to redeem himself for his earlier poor poor starts this season. I think the lone bright spot, potentially, is that Jerome Ford could have a top 12 workload in terms of total touches. Ford had 41% share of the rushing attempts last week and 12% of the targets, and 60% of the touches inside the red zone in week 12. For a discount running back for a team looking to be competitive and looking for that running back too, Ford's an interesting candidate. In Dallas, Tony Pollard breaks his touchdown drought. Dallas continues to provide positive returns for competitive teams this year. And based on his workload, Tony Pollard should keep adding to that? He still, score- still only scored a touchdown once every 266 yards. That's 100 yards above average. His volume should lead to more touchdowns, in other words. And teams rostering him are not as likely to be in contention because of the touchdown drought he suffered. It's worth checking to see where he is in your league, just in case that could help you. In Denver, more of a deeper dive point. I don't exactly know what decision you can make here, but I want you to know, Javante Williams disappointed last week in a game where the the team only rushed the ball 15 times. Williams had only 3.6% of the target share as well, which didn't help. Since week 7, however, Williams has, had, Williams has dominated the snap share and has had over 55% of the rushing attempts in each of those games, and over 60% in all but one. Denver hasn't been everything we hoped for in fantasy this year, but Williams is one of the few players with draft capital, a startable top 12 role, at least in the last few weeks, and is still under the age of 24. In Dynasty, I think that should be interesting to more competitive rosters in some way or other. For Houston, continue to buy Houston in Dynasty. No new notes, I guess. For Jacksonville, Calvin Ridley finally pays off in his role. And Travis Etienne loses 20% of the snaps to Ernest Johnson for the second week in a row. Does Zay Jones open the offense this much for Calvin Ridley? I don't think so, but it's clear the results have been positive this season given the number of splits I've seen posted on Twitter, or X, or whatever it is now. But A dot is under 5, and it's unclear to me how the ultra, often ultra-efficient player earning targets on only 14% of his routes has this much of a drastic effect on Calvin Ridley. Instead, I think it may have more to do with the team refocusing the receiving game as they ease off the rushing game, And Travis Etienne relinquishing 20% of his snaps last week and the week before. He's been over 80% of the snaps since week four before these last two weeks. And that's well over the average of a top 12 running back who has 66% of the snaps. Those 20%, the 20% of the snaps leaving Travis Etienne will all go into Dearness Johnson. I don't think they're overly valuable snaps. I don't think he's suddenly startable as a top 36 running back. It mostly seems to represent a shift in the offense through the last few weeks, and that's what I think's happened with Calvin Ridley, I hope. For Los Angeles Chargers, a lesson on why vacated targets thinking is wrong. Keenan Allen is running a lower share of routes on a team that is passing less often, and he's finished in the top 12 each of the last three weeks. With a loss of virtually every other receiving weapon outside of Keenan Allen and Donald, pa- Donald Parnham, Allen has been running a similar share of routes, but under 22% each of the last three weeks, despite his season average being over 22%. The team is also passing less. The average of the last three weeks is 24 times a game versus a season average of 34 times a game. And Allen's earning more targets, averaging 13 of the last three weeks, despite a season average before that of 11 targets a game. Good players make a situation, and numbers don't just go up for results to end up being positive for fantasy. For the Los Angeles Rams, they've released the highest snap share running back over the last two weeks. And Cooper Cup might be out for the season, leaving the door open for Tutu Atwell to get back on the score sheet in fantasy. I think that's actually going to be a very common note, but it's one worth noting, so I'm going to roll it in here. If you need encouragement for Kyron Williams, I think the Rams waving Daryl Henderson who was leading in Snapchat over the last two weeks, while Roy Freeman took the lead last week itself, it's still a clear indication that they intend to use Williams much like they did earlier in the season. Now he's back and presumably healthy. And also, just for some more vacated targets talk, Tutu Atwell hasn't been running significantly fewer rounds since Cup's return, despite not being as fantasy viable. He also hasn't had a particularly lower red zone role, he hasn't been earning targets less efficiently. How? He's been scoring fewer yards per route run, primarily because Cooper Cup has been around. Seemingly contradictory, right? But language fails us sometimes, and we're only focusing some of the possible numbers from a game as if they explain everything. They don't. You can be on the field earning routes and earning targets efficiently, but in poorer situations, because in better situations or more valuable situations, you target Cooper Cup. Think Tyler Boyd. He's earning volume, but is only startable in situations where he has a better chance to be the most viable option on a per-play basis. And the loss of Cooper Cup encourages more situations where that's possible for Tutu Atwell. It's not vacated targets. It's just opportunities on a limited depth chart. He's not going to take Cup's routes or his targets. He has his own. But on the field, he might get better opportunities because of Cup's absence. For Las Vegas, Jacoby Myers continues to backward slide in target and route share. Maybe Aidan O'Connell isn't able to support as much offense, but Michael Meyer continues to continues his slow rise upwards at the same time. I've broken these trends down over the last few weeks a few different times, and I don't want to belabor the points. But it is something I want to think you to think about while looking for moves to make in Dynasty League, so I'm noting it again. There's a young tight end with draft capital and a promising upward trajectory in an offense who isn't scoring particularly well. Although finishing in the top 12 sometimes because tight end ranks suck. Jacoby Myers isn't getting the volume he had for the first seven weeks. That's very clear. And Myers is growing in the, this offense. And my, in Miami, Devin Aitchein re-injures his knee in week 11. The terrible injury hits keep on rolling. The return of Devin Achane wasn't anything anyone hoped for, and the team currently won't even commit to him playing in week 12. For now, in my mind, he's more a long term value player, especially with a limited number of good young running backs under the age of a million. He's interesting, especially in a dynasty league. And he's more interesting for a dynasty team that's not as competitive because our confidence in starting him. In elimination games, once we get to the playoffs, has to be muted. Especially if he can't get back on the field this week or the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at starting him in a sudden death match. That's going to be a tougher decision if we can't see him establish his role before those games start. On the bright side, the rest of the offense continues to roll in fantasy without much of a problem. And those Raheem start shares just became more valuable trade chips or starting options, depending on how the health Goes for aging H&M. In Miami, the low passing rate with Joshua Jobs finally bites us in fantasy, and Ty Chandler makes a case for a larger role in the rushing game. Ty Chandler finishes running back 15 this week, but only played on 30% of the snaps. Right now, following the volume, he looks like a regression candidate, whereas Alexander Madison should continue to be the more startable option despite the results last week. But this is the little quirk of running back that we know. The team does have more choice over who gets volume rather than who is quote-unquote earning volume. And Chandler looks like the more dynamic player right now. The team could, maybe, decide to switch up the workload, but it's the kind of thing you don't know until you see it. For the New York Jets, Tommy DeVito must have heard what I'd said about him and decided to shut me up, so you're welcome. I threw a lot of passive-aggressive shade at Mr. DeVito the last few weeks, but last week or week 11, was more impressive by most measures. For example, again, he completed 69% of his attempts last week, which is about a top 12 average at the position. He scored mostly through the work of Darius Slayton, who only played on 40% of the team's routes, so for following the volume, Wonder Robinson led with 19% of the routes, and that should pay off more often if Tommy DeVito is able to keep it up. I lean on the volume, as you know, so if Mr. Vero can keep up his performance, I think Robinson could be more interesting going forward to close out the season. And just a note, Saquon Barkley finishes running back one in week 11 and still has the third highest workload at the position in terms of how valuable his touches are for fantasy football. So it's nice to see Saquon doing stuff too. For the New York Jets, Zach Wilson benched. Tim Boyle gets a start and things could be... Better for fantasy. It's just another opportunity to throw some Zach Wilson shade, I'll admit it. It didn't pay off for Garrett Wilson in week 11, by the way. He only managed 9 yards on 8 targets, but I'm more interested in the offense's potential with Boyd than Wilson. Boyle only took over in the third quarter, for example, and I'd rather have the upside potential of this unknown than the known downside of Zach Wilson. Garrett Wilson has a touchdown for every 328 yards. Again, that's almost twice the average for his position. In 2023. And given his potential, just in terms of his talent, I'd expect more moving forward. Just just for the sake of getting more Garrett Wilson in Dynasty, to be honest. In Pittsburgh, Najee Harris regressed to his volume while Jalen Warren Jalen Jalen Warren decided to wait another week. While both have been outkicking their touches the last few weeks, Jalen Waddle still finished as the running back two in week eleven with only nine rushing attempts and three targets. Don't call it a comeback, but also don't call it a takeover. This is just efficiency. In Seattle, Ken Walker potentially lost for the season, and Zach Charbonnet takes over 80% of the snaps. There's no real bright side, despite the fact I've had to use that kind of sentence several times this week. There's no bright side to an injury in reality. It's all bad. It's not good that a player's injured. But... It's fantasy football, so Zach Charbonnet will get a chance to show what he can do with a bigger role. He played 85% of the snap share and got 15.8% of the targets, most interestingly, in Week 11. It's likely an exaggerated share of the offense because, obviously, they did not plan for this and they're going to plan for it next week. However, it does indicate the potential he could have this season. In San Francisco, George Kittle has finished Top 7 in 4 out of his last 4 games. The Spike Week narrative in George Kittle frustrates the hell out of me, to be honest with you. He's having another good year, and a serious option for anyone who just liked Mark Andrews. He's one of the maybe 4 players with anything like the same range of outcomes at the position. And of those 4, one of them is Mark Andrews. While there are a lot of young players breaking out of the position in 2023 older tight ends should be the least concerning in Dynasty because they play longer and they maintain production longer as well. Don't fear the kittle. I'm just saying. In Tennessee, I'd sell any Will Levis hype you can find in Dynasty. I didn't believe much in the rookie profile, and while I haven't seen an overwhelming tide of hype for Will Levis, he has been somewhat startable, and he is a rookie, which some people may like. He also finished in the top 12 in his first game back in week 8. In a landscape of promising new and mid-career giants at the position, Levis is a replacement level quarterback with very little upside. Washington. Logan Thomas, an option. Logan Thomas has a top 10 volume at the tight end position and has 5 or more targets and 30 or more yards and over 16% of the routes since week 7. He's had over seven PPR points in all but one game this season as well. That's right, seven. (laughs) He's not exciting in Dynasty and carries very little value, but he can hold down the position of teams who just like Musk Andrews, are too scaredy-cat to play for George Kittle, but just need to block at the position without. Thomas won't replace that advantage, but he could limit the damage other teams can do against you with replacement level points at least. Anyway, that's about all I have for this week. Thanks for checking out the podcast. You can check out all my data pinned to my Patreon timeline on a 20 timeline. If you're interested in checking out m- this or my article version of this, um, check out my Patreon timeline or check out that Cyber Week Thanksgiving-y sale whatever it is at DLF. Thanks again, and I'll see you or talk to you again next week. Thanks for much.
1: Yeah! Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Abe on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their in lanes, but I like that. Yeah. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order They disorder more and more because the players ain't no older They some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders You got that eye, eye like mortar Peak grinding numbers like molars I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete and more it's the place, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play it phone, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete and it's the place, they're analytical.